As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll also be considering Lord's Day 39, as we've already read that together. But Ephesians, chapter 6, we're going to read the first four verses. You'll see that it's under the heading of children and parents, but everybody should listen, for this is God's own Word. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, As we've been following the pattern of the catechism and thinking through the Ten Commandments together, we've come to the fifth commandment, um, the fifth commandment, the first in the second table of the law, the first in the part of the law that has to deal with the duties that we owe to one another. Um, And the first of those duties is that we honor our fathers and mothers. Uh, We read that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Um, This is an important law, an important law for God's people. And this is not just for little children. Uh, Little children, it is for you. You need to obey your father and mother. But it's a reminder to all of us that, as the Catechism rightly points out, all of us are under some sort of authority. Um, We we like to think that we are the authorities, um, but really all of us are under some sort of authority. Um, I can remember as a, as a young pastor going in, not even a pastor yet, I was still in seminary, and I'd gone somewhere and I'd prayed the congregational prayer, and um, I'd prayed for the governing authorities that the Lord had set over me, and right after church, someone came up to me and said, uh, the people of the United States are the authority. We don't have authorities over us. Um, and, you know, just being an intern, I said, well, thank you very much for your input. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt bad because I thought, I said that, and he thought about that all service long, my prayer, and had to come talk to me right afterwards. That was the thing that bugged him the most about uh, what I'd done. Uh, But the fact of the matter is we are under the authority of the governing authorities, right? Uh, We we know that. Um, If we don't follow the laws, someone is going to come knocking. So uh, we can pretend that we're laws unto ourselves, but that's simply not the case. Uh, We all are under some sort of authority, and that's a good thing. That's a gift from God that we are not left rudderless in this world without any kind of authorities. And this law helps us to think as Christians, how do we relate to authority? Um, And this commandment teaches us some very important things. We need to first recognize the importance of authority, uh, the importance of the authorities that God has placed in the world. So we need to recognize the importance of authority. Uh, We need to honor those authorities, and we need to submit to those authorities. That's what this commandment 
is about. And so that's how we want to take it together. Recognizing the importance of authority, honoring authority, and submitting to authority. Um, and this is, this is difficult in the world in which we live, not just because some people think that we're the authorities, but authority has fallen on hard times, generally speaking. Um, people like autonomy. There's a, there's a whole emphasis in our culture and in, you know, the individualism that's always sort of characterized America, but uh, now in sort of a rampant form um, that I should only be a law unto myself, um, we, we deal with that. So arguing for any kind of authority sounds like you're arguing for a kind of authoritarianism. Um, and any time you have an ism, those are not good usually. Um, so authority is good, but authoritarianism is not good. Um, and so some people think those two are synonyms, that any time you talk about authority, you're talking about authoritarianism. Um, it's also hard in our day because we've lost the sense that some people are more qualified to exercise authority than others, um, especially when it comes to a commandment like this that says that that is specifically addressed first to children. You honor your father and mother. That's something we have to learn from a young age. And in, in a culture that is so obsessed with youth culture, that's kind of been turned on its head. Um, that that more and more people say you need to start listening to the children. And I, I'm all for listening to children. I don't mean to say you know that children should be quiet and never say anything. Um, I'm not an, an, a grumpy old man before my time. I'm getting there, um, but I'm not quite there yet. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say, that children should you know, neither be seen or heard. Um, what, what I am saying is that we have to recognize what Scripture says about children. Um, children are simple. The wisdom literature tells us children are simple. And that's not an insult to children. But what it means is, in the, in the Old Testament, in the wisdom literature, that if you're simple, you're on the knife's edge between wisdom and folly. And that what you need is guidance so you walk the wise path and don't end up a fool. Um, and one of the dangers for children especially is that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Um, and so they need instruction, they need help. And so a culture that wants to be a youth culture is sort of flipping the wisdom on its head and saying, let's take instruction from the people who have folly bound up in their heart. Um, actually, we need to do what God's word says. The, the more instructed, the wiser have to help the simpler. Now, that's not to say, again, that you never have to listen to the younger people. Uh, we can think about the book of Job and Job's poor counselors giving him poor advice for chapter after chapter and Elihu finally saying, you know, I listened to all you old guys because I thought you would know what you're talking about, but it turns out you guys don't know what you're talking about. And someone has to stand up for the Lord here. Um, and I was a younger man, so I stayed quiet and let the seniors speak, but you guys need a little help yourselves. Um, and so we have this kind of idea in our culture. And so when we have all these various ideas that authority has fallen on hard times, that people who shouldn't be authorities are being exalted as authorities, how do we relate to authority the way God has spelled it out in his word? And it's very clear for us and very helpful for us to meditate on the fifth commandment and meditate on the wisdom that God has given us in his word about how to think about authority. Um, and to recognize that authority is a good thing. We need a proper theology of authority. Um, just because authority can be corrupted doesn't mean authorities are bad. Authorities are actually very good. 
they're given to us by God. They are gifts to us to have authorities. Um, the, the, the last statement in question 104 in the catechism is so um, important to realize. It's by their hand that God wills to rule us. Um, that God has established the authorities that have been established. It's important because we, we can read philosophies of government and there are people who say we've come to this by a social contract. We figured this out. There's all sort of various theories of government. But a, a basic theology of government says governments come from the Lord. The Lord has instituted governments in this world and it's his will to rule us through them. Um, and so God has established these authority structures and they are God-ordained authorities. That's true in the government. That's also true in the basic structure of the family. Right? Fathers and mothers have God-given authority over their children. It's not something that they aggregate to themselves. Um, it's something that God has given to them for their instruction, for their discipline. Um, that's what God has done. God has instituted parents. God has instituted governments. Um, maybe we read Romans 13 so often then when we think about government that we, we, we aren't able to be surprised by it anymore. But, but listen to what Paul says in Romans 13 verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. That can be, that's, that can be hard, those can be hard verses to swallow. Um, because there, there will be some, because of your political affiliation, will find it hard to swallow uh, that Donald Trump is a God-appointed authority. And there will be others who it's hard to swallow that Gavin Newsom is a God-appointed authority. Regardless of what your political affiliation is, those can be hard to stomach. Um, I, I sat down and thought about it, and I thought, you know, over, over the extent of my life, without showing my cards and telling you my political affiliation, but I could think just over the course of my life, about half the time one party's been in control of the White House, and about half the time another party's been in control of the White House. It's just about half and half in my lifetime. <clears throat> that means whatever your political affiliation is, you're unhappy half the time. Right, that's the Calvinist analysis of political theory, right? Um, and so regardless of who's in power, you have to honor them. And it's, it's worth rem remembering that likely when Paul's writing the book of Romans, Nero is the emperor. And the argument that Paul's making is that Nero has power from God. That he rules because God has set him where he is. Um, and that authorities are God-ordained. And because God has appointed them, they're to be honored. That's true in the family, that's true in the government, that's true in the church. God has also instituted authorities in the church to care for his people in that way. Um, Paul, Paul says that in Acts chapter 20 when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders and giving them sort of final instructions. But in Acts 20, 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
Paul says. God has put you in those positions. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. These different authority structures are God-given to minister to us, to exercise a certain amount of care over us in the various functions that they've been given. As we said, parents are charged particularly with instructing, training up, and disciplining their children. That's one of the the functions of parenting. Um, That's what God had instituted in the Old Testament when he was talking about what, what should families try to do for their children. Um, well, he said that Israel and Israel parents were to preserve God's word in their own hearts and hand it down to their children. Um, and so we have these lovely expressions of how the law is to come to expression in the family life of Israel. So we can think of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. The famous words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The talking about the commandments that the Lord has given are to be part of family life, right? Um, Whether you're sitting at home, whether you're out and about, whether it's the morning and the evening, these are the things that the family is to be talking about, God's will for his people. And of course, not just the law, but also the gospel. Um, later in that same chapter, at the end of chapter 6, we read in Deuteronomy that when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Um, What what an amazing statement of the gospel there is right there, that the Lord brought us out of slavery, that he might bring us into the land of promise. It's the same thing that that God has done to us and for us through Jesus Christ. Brought us out of our slavery to sin and death and hell, that he might bring us into his family and glory. Um, that, that was to be part and parcel to, to, to the life of the family. To teach them that, that true freedom is found in submitting to God. Um, that, that's, that's one very hard thing to teach people today. That true freedom is found in submitting to God. A lot of people you talk to say, to find true freedom I need to go my separate way with God to live the kind of life that I want to live, to be truly free, I've got to walk away from God. But actually, what the scriptures teach us is to be truly free, you have to submit to God. But that's where you find freedom. Um, and Galatians 5.1 reminds us, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to your yoke of slavery. Um, that's what we try to do is instruct everyone and remind them that true freedom is found in submitting to Christ. And that's especially important in our day and age, isn't it? Because of how much the culture will say that true freedom is found in parting ways with Christ. 
But Paul is so right. To do that is to submit again to a yoke of slavery. Um, how, how is slavery defined in the Old Testament? What, what is it at its worst? It's the situation in the book of Judges where everyone does what's right in their own eyes and there's no king in Israel. Right? Christianity is the opposite of that. Is recognizing that there is a king and living according to his rules and knowing that living in his kingdom means that he cares for those who are his subjects. That's where true freedom and true protection is found. And the law of God never speaks to us in order to restrict us from things that are good, but always to keep us on a path that will ultimately be for our good and for God's glory. And says to us, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't sell yourself again to the devil, having been set free. You're free. Act like free people. Follow after your king. It's an important message in our day and age, important for us to grasp uh, that authority and the importance of that authority that's found in the home, uh, that we do that in the church as well to remind people what we've been set free for and how to worship God. So parents are ministers to children. Uh, the governments are God's ministers to us. Uh, their particular task is to punish wrongdoing and to promote the good, to use the sword uh, for civil order. Um, and whatever you think of the governing authorities, we're not going to go around the room and say what we think of the governing authorities, um, but whatever we think of the governing authorities, it's better to have some authority than to have none. Um, it's better to have some authority than to have none. Um, and we, all, we only need to look at places around the world where there is little authority uh, to know that that's not the case, that we would be better off without them. God uses them to restrain evil. Not in a perfect way. The sword is not a perfect implement for solving every problem. Uh, but it is effective for solving certain problems. And that's why God has given the sword into the hand of the government. Uh, and the same is true of churches. We wouldn't be better off if there was no authority in church. Uh, we might think of that at times. Uh, we might be tempted at times to think we could do things better. I was a lot more critical of ministers before I became one. Um, we, we can sometimes think that we can do things better um, if we were in charge, but certainly there would be no decency or order to our church if nobody was in charge um, and everybody did what they thought was right. God has given us authority structures. They're important. Um, and because they come to us from God, they're to be honored. That's the second thing we want to make, make sure that we're clear about. A proper theology of government recognizes that all these different authority structures are God's gifts to us, and therefore we're to honor them because they come from Him. Um, even if there's nothing else to honor in them, we can honor them for the simple fact that they come to us from God. Um, and that's what we are to do as we relate to these governing authorities of whatever kind they are. Um, and that's, again, where the catechism is so helpful. That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Now, again, that's always easier to honor, love, and show faithfulness to those who deserve it. Um, it's, it's tougher when they don't. Um, it's a lot tougher when they haven't earned that. Um, it's tougher for reasons in us at times. It's a lot easier for me to honor my father and mother now than it was when I was a teenager. 
Um, you know, Mark Twain made the comment that his father knew nothing when he was 14, and by the time he turned 21, it was amazing how much the old man had learned. Um, well, that wasn't so much down to Mark Twain's father as it was down to Mark Twain, right? Sometimes we think our parents don't know anything, um, and actually it's because we don't know anything. Um, and so it can be tougher to submit to authorities because of reasons in us. It can be tougher to submit to them because of reasons in them. But when we remember that they are God's ministers to us, uh, that they rule on his account and by his hand, then we can honor them for his sake. Um, Even when they are drawing authority to themselves that they have no right to claim. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ before Pilate. Don't you recognize you're under my authority? What a thing to say to Jesus, right? Right? And Jesus has to remind him, you would have no authority unless it was given to you by my Father in heaven. But he recognizes that authority has been given to him by his Father in heaven, even Pilate. Um, And so we have to recognize those authorities as being God's authorities and honor them as authorities from him. Not for their sakes ultimately, but for God's sake. Uh, That we honor them and love them and be faithful to them as much as we can. We're all imperfect in this world. Every authority structure is imperfect. Parents are imperfect. That's why Paul has to say, right, in Ephesians 4, and also fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke your children to anger. Um, that we're not going to be perfect in this life, no matter, no matter what. Uh, we're not going to be perfect in this life. Bad instruction, uneven discipline, right? Not doing what's good, not doing what's right. But there will always be something to honor in them because they come from God. And when we can't honor them even for any other reason, we can honor them for God's sake. And when they do their jobs well, we can be thankful that God has given us good authorities. Um, I remember hearing somebody pray once about the governing authorities and say, God, give us better authorities than we deserve. Um, I think, you know, sometimes we look around, especially in this country, and complain about the governments we have, and we have to remember that we elected these governments. Um, You know, we're responsible ultimately for the governments that we have, um, and sometimes we need to remember that we we really don't deserve much better. Anytime we get better, it's a gift from God's hand. But we can always honor the authorities as being God's authority to us, that God has not left us alone in this world without important authorities, but has given them to us. And so we honor them as being God's ministers to us, and we must, as best we can and where we can, submit to them. That we recognize their authority, that we honor their authority, um, and that we submit to the authority in keeping with God's word. Again, this is always the hard thing to do when they're, when they're difficult authorities to submit to. It's a lot easier to submit to good authority. Um, it becomes much harder to submit to bad authority. Um, one theologian dis- defined authority as the authorization for the appropriate use of power. Um, and so where authorities are appropriately and authorized to use their power, they should be submitted to. Um, as doing their duty. Um, But they can fail. And I like that definition because it shows us how they often do fail. Um, Either they don't use their power appropriately, or they don't use their power where they're authorized to do so. Um, That's how we tend to fail in the exercise of authority. 
either using power inappropriately or using power where we're not authorized. And so when we're in authority, we need to remember those things, right? That, that fathers and mothers are not unlimited authorities. They've been given certain authority in their families to tell their families certain things, but they must not abuse that authority. Uh, the same is true of church officers. We have to remind ourselves of those things as well. We have been given authority by God to care for the flock, um, but we're to use that power appropriately and where we've been authorized by him to do so. Um, the same is true of governments. Um, and so oftentimes when it talks about submitting to the authority, oftentimes the discussion wants to shift to, okay, but when do I not have to submit to them? Um, when does their inappropriate use of power or going beyond their authorization, when does that excuse me from obeying them? Uh, when may I resist them? Um, well, if we, if we truly believe the things we've already said, they ought never to be resisted lightly. It's a very serious thing to resist the authorities that God has set over us. Um, when, when are we allowed to resist them? Well, of course, we always have to resist them when, when they're making us choose between God's will and their will. Um, that, that whenever we are set against one authority and God's authority, we must always obey God rather than men. Um, that, that's always sort of an easy situation for us to, to, to work out, right? Uh, the men before the fiery furnace, when they're told to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar has made, it's an easy choice in the sense that God has said, don't bow down to idols. You're saying bow down to idols. So it's clear what I need to do. And what I need to do is not bow down to the idols, uh, the same is true with the apostles when they're called before the religious authorities in Acts 5. Jesus said, preach the word, starting in Jerusalem and go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're called before the religious authorities and they say, stop preaching Jesus. And they, they have to say, okay, Jesus said, preach. You're saying, don't preach. Hmm. We have to obey Jesus. Right? There, there's, no, there's no real hard choice there. And we always say that when we come to authority, that we have to obey the authorities rather than God. But Scripture also teaches us, I think, another important lesson about how to relate to authority, especially if authority is asking you to do something dumb or something that you think is inadvised. And it's not simply to go the route of resisting authority, but the Bible teaches us that oftentimes we must appeal to the authority as authority to do what's right. That rather than simply go to the route of resisting, that we appeal to the authority to act as the authority. Um, a good example of this is in uh, 1 Samuel 19. Um, we, we don't have time to turn there, but in 1 Samuel 19, there's an interesting situation where Saul is king. He's the authority. Um, even David, who's put in his place, recognizes that Saul is the Lord's anointed, right? And there's all kinds of things that Saul does that's bad. Many things that he, you know, he got, he'd have gotten blown up on Twitter in his, if he had Twitter in his day. You know, who made Saul king? Hashtag not my king. You know, there would be all that kind of stuff if Saul was in charge today. But he is the lawful authority. And he makes a really stupid pronouncement in 1 Samuel 19, where he says to his army, nobody is to eat anything. We're going to go on a fast. That's not a great idea when you're trying to march an army somewhere. 
to, to put them all on a fast. But he makes, puts them under oath before God not to eat anything. And his son Jonathan, not knowing that the army has been put under this oath, because he's not there when the oath was made, eats honey along the march, and it comes back to the king. The king had said, no one can eat anything, and his son ate something. And he said, whoever does that will be put to death. And when they come to Jonathan and say, you know, this is what your, well, this is what your father said, then he said, then, then that's the way it is. He was willing to submit himself to his father's authority. His father had done a dumb thing. But Jonathan, being a righteous man, said, my father is the authority. He is the king, and I violated the oath. And so what do God's people do? Right? Because Jonathan is loved by his men as a godly man. So what do they do? They go and they appeal to the king as the king to spare, Saul's, to spare Jonathan's life. Um, and he does. And in that, we're given a good model in Scripture that authority, when it goes wrong, is not simply first to be resisted, but it's to be appealed to as the authority. Paul does the same thing when he's condemned for teaching the gospel, right? He appeals to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen, um, he appeals himself to Caesar. Now, it doesn't always work out well when you appeal to the, to the proper authority. It worked out well for Jonathan here, but a little later in 1 Samuel, um, Jonathan will appeal to his father again, and his father will throw a spear at him. Um, so the lesson to be learned here is not that appealing to authority always works out well. Um, but it helps show us as Christians, it's not just a matter of obey it or don't obey it. Um, there's a way to go and to appeal to the authority as the authority. It's a good lesson for children to learn. That if you don't like something that mom and dad have done, that you go and appeal to them as the authority and ask them to do something different. It's the same structure that we have in our churches. Right? There's a certain authority that the consistory exercises in this church, by which we mean the ministers and the elders working together. But we're not absolute authorities. And there's an ability to appeal the decisions we make. Those decisions can be appealed to classes. They can be appealed beyond classes to synod. Right? And the lesson that's taught in our church order is while you're waiting an appeal, you have to submit to the authorities and the decision they've made. But we're not ultimate authorities. There's a way to appeal. There's a way to appeal to our authority if someone thinks something's going wrong in the church. Um, and God has granted that that ability for us uh, to appeal to the governing authority, not just to immediately move to resistance, um, which is what so often people want to do today. Um, and even where resistance is finally necessary to the government, if the government is being so tyrannical as to be uh, stepping on its citizens, even then, we always have sought to follow other governing authorities and not just have open rebellion. Um, you know, sometimes people will ask, well, how do you justify the American Revolution? Um, 
well, we justify because we're Americans. What do you mean? You know, um, but, but people say, you know, as Christians, how do we justify those things? And one of the ways that, that they seriously made arguments for it was to say, when the, when the king becomes tyrannical and there are other lesser magistrates who are also charged with the welfare of the people, they might lead a revolution to say, we need to overthrow the tyrannical authorities so that the people we've been charged to care for are cared for. And so they actually labored hard to say, this is not an open general rebellion. This is actually the authority structure of the government. Now, you don't have to agree with all this. This is not, my job here is not to argue for the American Revolution. What I, what I am saying is, we've always said, we recognize that there are magistrates, and, and imagine you're a magistrate that does have authority over people, and you recognize, I'm to care for them, I'm to promote their welfare, and there's another magistrate who's tyrannizing them. Then you would see it as your God-given duty to try to protect your people. Um, and that's, that's all in the effort of trying to follow what God has given us to do. Um, and so people have thought through these things, and I think these are all very helpful. Um, and then the catechism reminds us of one other reality, and we can, we can close in thinking about this. But sometimes submitting to the governing authority means you just have to be patient with their failings. Sometimes submission means that you're going to be disappointed, that they're going to fail you. Um, it might not be the king throwing a spear at you, but there are other ways that the governments will fail you. And I appreciate that the last note of question 104 is to call us to bear patiently with their infirmities. That wherever there is authority, wherever we are under authority, we know that authority is not going to be perfect. That it is going to fail. And that we're going to have to bear patiently with those failures. And if we find ourselves really struggling with that idea, and really saying, you know, I, I bristle at that. I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. You don't know my family. You don't know the hurts I've had at the hands of the church. You don't know the hurts I've had at the hands of the government. You really just don't understand. It's too hard for me to bear patiently with their failings. Um, in those moments, think of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he had to bear patiently with the failings of all those who were around him. It must have been hard to be a perfect child with imperfect parents. Um, you know, sometimes we can think of Mary and Joseph and think they, they must have just had an easy lot in life because they could be sitting around with other parents. You know, don't you hate it when your kids do this? You know, Jesus never does that. <laughs> don't you hate it when you tell them to do something, they just won't do it? Never had that problem with Jesus. He always does what I tell him to do. Right, we, we, could, we, could, see, we could think it would be really easy to be Jesus' parents because he didn't really need discipline or correction in the way that any other child would need it because he was a perfect one under authority. But he had to bear patiently with imperfect parents. I don't know if we ever think about the difficulty of being Jesus and being a perfect child, a, per, a sinless child with sinners as parents. That he would have to bear patiently with their infirmities especially when he had outstripped them in wisdom and knowledge. We see a little glimpse of that when he's at the temple and they're going home, you know, and he's about 12 years old and someone looks around and says, where's Jesus? 
And they go back and find him teaching the temple and they sort of attempt to scold him a little bit. You know, the, the way you do with little children when you lose them for a minute and then you find them. You go from relief to anger. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to find you. Why'd you wander off like that? Um, and Jesus has to be patient with his parents and say, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house and be about my father's business? Jesus knew what it was to bear with the infirmities of imperfect parents. Um, Jesus knew what it was to bear with the infirmities of religious authorities. To see sinners in charge of his father's house who had turned his father's house into a common marketplace, who were teaching as their own commandments the doctrines of God, um, to, be, to be put under oath by them and to be abused by them and to be accused of being a minister of Satan by them. And yet he submitted to the religious authorities, despite their imperfections. And the same was true of the Roman authorities, he knew what it was to be abused by the governing authorities and to still submit to them, to their abuses um, and to that ultimate act of injustice, crucifying him though, though they had found him innocent. So time we're, we're tempted to say, I can't bear up under these authorities. Jesus knows what it is to bear up under imperfect authorities. And what did he do? What, what is the lesson that he taught us? Well, we read that in 1 Peter 2.23, that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. We have a father who rules perfectly. We have the head of the church who rules perfectly. We have the king of heaven and earth who rules perfectly. And when we can't bear the judgments of the imperfect authorities, then we entrust ourselves to the judgment of the perfect authority. That we know that there's a God in heaven who does all things well. And it's one of the hopes of the people of God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. When we don't know what to do in the family, we cry out to the Lord. And when we don't know what to do in the church, we cry out to the Lord. And when we don't know what to do with our governments, we should cry out to the Lord. Um, and look forward to that day when all things will be made new. Uh, when the Father will establish his kingdom in his Son. Uh, when the church will be brought together and be one under the headship of our Lord Jesus Christ when that government will be ruled by him in which righteousness dwells, and there will be no more infirmity to bear with patiently. It will all be strength and glory. And so we long for that day, and we live in this day, being thankful for the authorities that God has given us and doing our best to honor them for his sake. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, in whatever trials that we are called to face at the hands of authority, we pray that you would give us grace to honor and submit to them, that we would bear patiently with their failings, 
We pray also that where we have been given authority, we might exercise it well. That we might strive to learn better what you've called us to do as authorities. That we would seek to use the authority that you've given to us appropriately and in the ways that you've authorized us to exercise that authority. Um, That we might do it well and for your glory. And however authority goes for us in this life, uh, we pray that you would give us that great hope and that vision of our King Jesus who has authority in heaven and on earth, who's coming again soon in glory to reign with perfect justice and equity. And give us patience to wait on him, we pray. For we pray in his name. Amen.